Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and we are coming to you from Omaha. We are recording this at 11 o'clock local time on Monday night. Uh, This is the latest we've recorded an episode of the podcast, Joe. But with this uh, with this new format, we wanted to get a you know be able to get two uh, two episodes out. During, during this week of the College World Series. And so this is the opportune time to do it. Two teams have advanced to the bracket final. They are Oklahoma and Ole Miss. Ole Miss just uh, wrapped up advancing at 2-0 with uh, a win over Arkansas tonight. Two teams have been eliminated. Stanford was eliminated earlier today. Texas is also out. Uh, so we've reached the uh, we've reached that stage, the College World Series. I don't know what the hell we call this this stage of the College World Series, but we're here, and uh, clearly we're a little loopy. So Joe, uh, we're uh, we're ready to roll. Yeah, BA College Podcast After Dark. I feel like a little bit of a poser because you, you always hear uh, episodes of podcasts like from the NCAA basketball tournament or whatever else, where they're like, you know, oh, it's too. 15 in the morning and like we're sitting here at 11 15 at night and it's like super late night for for us which admittedly is is as much of a a me thing i'm the of the two of us i'm stay up i i haven't read my story yet (laughs) yeah i'm the old i'm the old man of the group this this me is is the 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 one is who's being kept up by this uh but yes meanwhile i just brewed a a cup of hotel coffee at at 11 o'clock at night so that that's where we're at (laughs) my 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 attempts to stay up is simply I haven't yet taken my melatonin. I didn't feel like that was probably a good idea. <laughs> like that, my speech would have gotten a little bit slower as the uh, as the podcast went on. Uh, to answer your question about what we call it, I feel like we're, we are solidly like right in the we are entering what I would call the middle of the tournament now. You know, the early stages are done. Uh, you know, uh, in terms of literal days that we're here, we we kind of are like right in the middle of it. Um, the, 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 bra- or the, the proceedings do kind of stretch out now because we have, you know, if necessary day coming up an off day coming up. And then obviously once we get into the championship series, it, it's one game a day, but so we, we, we do kind of stretch out a little more. So, but in terms of games, we are, we are right at, if not a little bit past the, uh, the midway point here. As, uh, as I told Chase Parham while I was leaving the press box today, uh, shouts to Chase who covers Ole Miss for rivals, I think. <laughs> Rebel um, Grove. Yeah, we got we got one more week 
So that's uh, that's where we're at. That, that's um, the that's the most uncanny valley part of it, by the way, is that yeah. it feels like we are further into this thing than we actually are in terms of that, in terms of raw number of days. Because yeah, I mean, there's we're recording this late Monday, like you know, a week from today is the the, the last day on which we can crown a champion here. So we yeah we we still still do have in terms of number of days, we do still have quite a a while here. So because the format is unrelenting and elimination games happen on tomorrow or Tuesdays, today, as, as, as you're listening to this, probably, we are not going to focus on the teams that are one and one. We're not going to try and like look at those elimination games. And we're, we're, we're going to try and focus on things that are a little more, let it have a little bit longer shelf life. So if you're getting to this on Tuesday when you're going home from work, we didn't just spend a whole bunch of time breaking down Notre Dame and, and A&M. And you're like, well, that game. That game's over, man. Um, so we're going to try and focus more on the teams that are 2-0 and and the teams that are 2-0 and on the plane home. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, – I guess, Joe, let's start with, uh, with the first bracket. And that one was the one that, that, that had Texas in it, and they've been eliminated, and it has Oklahoma moving on to the bracket final. And I got to say, I mean, that alone qualifies as a, you know, we talked a lot about how this tournament was pretty open and, you know, we could see any number of things, any team could win and all the rest of it. But I still would say that if, you know, Oklahoma being two and O and Texas being two and out is surprising that, you know, coming into this, a lot of people, it felt like had convinced themselves that, well, you know, Texas was the preseason number one team for a reason. And in the absence of a lot of the top seats here, including Tennessee, like, doesn't that just kind of open things up for, for Texas? And uh, the answer was kind of a resounding no. They got beat on Friday by Notre Dame with John Michael Bertrand. Notre Dame really just outplayed Texas the whole way. And then they lost to, to A&M in an elimination game where, again, they just seemed like they got outplayed the whole way. Meanwhile, Oklahoma, you know, we've talked plenty about how hot they've been in the second half of the season. That has absolutely continued here. They've played two really good games, and, um, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're sitting very pretty. This is the third time in Oklahoma history that they've gone 2-0 and at the College World Series, and they've won the national title both times. Uh, so they're uh, – they, it's been a while since that happened. You know, we're talking about one in the fifties and one in the nineties, but uh, you know, that, that is the kind of thing that happens when you, when you get to two and O in the tournament, good things happen for you. And things, things have, have really gone about as well as they could for Oklahoma. I mean, about, about the only thing, if you really want to nitpick is that in, in, in its opening game, Oklahoma lost Brett Squires to a, a broken hand. Um, and that's, you know, that that's no small thing. He was a, a, a big part of the lineup, but as far as the results go, I mean, it really couldn't have gone any better. The offense is swinging it well. They're getting contributions, not just from, you know, Peyton Graham and, and you know, the, the Blake Robertson, who's been doing it all year. They're getting contributions up and down the lineup. Uh, they haven't had to throw very many. I think most crucially, they haven't had to cover very many innings by pitchers other than Jake Bennett, Cade Horton, and Trevin Michael. You know, David Sandlin threw a little bit in the opener. Um, Jared Godbin threw a little bit in the second game. So that's been good. Um and now they, they, because they're in that bracket, they get two full days off, which is perfect for what they're trying to do on the mound. So in terms of results, they couldn't have asked for, for much more. And I think both wins, although 
the win against AM got a little bit ugly because AM, as they are wont to do, they are a good offensive team that fights and claws and scratches for everything. So they kind of got back in that thing and made it a little bit closer than maybe it was in actuality. Um, but generally speaking, they have continued to play the way they have really the entire second half of the season. So while I agree generally with the sentiment that Oklahoma sitting at two and zero, whereas Texas is zero and two there is what kind of counts as a surprise given the field that we've been presented for the CWS. Um, it really isn't surprising just from the standpoint of this is kind of who Oklahoma has been for a while now. You mentioned how their, well, their pitching sets up, you know, they, they threw Samlin because, um, you know, they were planning clearly to throw Horton in game two. And uh, that meant that Samlin, the earliest he would throw would be Tuesday. So you get him in an, in a little bit of action on Friday. So he doesn't sit for a full week. And, um, you know, now I assume that he'll be slated to go Wednesday and, uh, that that just sets them up really well if he is able to win that game. But I mean, you have a guy that spent the entire season as your number two uh, pitching in the the first of a bracket final against a team that is not going to be as well positioned on the mound, no matter whether it's AM or, or Notre Dame. I mean, it's uh, it's a really big deal. And you mentioned just how important it is that they have the two days off because Trevor Michael has pitched in both of the the first two games, and he is without a doubt like the relief ace here and. Uh, they, they, they need him to be fully rested and they're so they're set up well on the mound like you said and you know they've been hitting the ball really well again and they had some goofy plays in that game against Notre Dame you know you saw uh, John Spikerman tagged out at, on a play at third base when like he had knocked the ball out of Brannigan's glove uh, so that he was safe but then he was coming back to the bag uh, and, and he, he thought he was out already and, and he was just kind of off the base and that wasn't the case because the ball had come out, but Brandon was able to tag him out there. I mean, that, that's just one of those things like, you know, you never see that. Um, they had another runner thrown out at, at third base in that same inning, but that aggressive style has, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword and, and Oklahoma has done that a lot this season. They're, they're aggressive and, uh, they've certainly run into some outs, but they also run into a lot of runs and, and uh, it's, it's put some pressure on, on defenses here and uh, it's been serving them well. Yeah, no doubt. And I appreciated the, uh, the levity that that particular play gave us. And it was kind of just a fun moment. Also, there was a, a home run later in the game that went into the bullpen and, and hit the person who was coming out of the bathroom in the bullpen, the door swung open, right. As the ball like caromed, through that opening. That was kind of funny. And I say that because um, that is what is having to pass as kind of drama and entertainment and what has otherwise, as I just kind of sneak in a little bit of something I meant to mention up top that like, we're still really waiting on our first game. That's just a drama filled, um, you know, banger of a game. We've had, we've had interesting things. I don't mean to say it's been, I mean, Dylan Delusia's performance, obviously outstanding. Kate Horton, as well as he pitched was electric early in that outing. There's been that there's been some impressive offensive performances on a team level and an individual level. So all of that, but in terms of just a drama filled game, we're, we're still kind of waiting on it. So the moments of levity we got on like that spiker and play and otherwise has, has, has given us a little bit of something in what has otherwise been like largely just a lot of blowout games and a lot of, a lot of slogs. So if, if that's what it's going to take, I, I suppose I'll take it. Yeah. The, uh, it, it definitely has not been a world series of close games and I don't really know what to attribute that to. Um, it, but it just hasn't been, and it's not even just been a, like there's, there's always been a thing at, 
TD Ameritrade, now Charles Schwab, that if you get a lead, you're going to keep that lead. And there have only been, I think, two games so far where there has been a lead change, but it hasn't even been that there haven't been lead changes. It's there have been a lot of blowouts. And even the games that are close don't feel all that close. You know, Ole Miss wins uh, their first game, uh, you know, five to one, but it it never felt like Auburn was in that game at all, really. Like Delucia was throwing a perfect game um, for four innings. And, uh, you know, th- there have been so many games like that as well as as well as the blowouts. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's been kind of a strange series, but we will that that's that game. Oklahoma against Notre Dame, the the 1-0 game um, in, in this bracket was one of the more entertaining games just because of some of the crazy plays. It started right away with Blake Robertson going head over heels, um, you know, into into the Notre Dame dugout on like the second pitch of the game to to grab a foul ball. Um, you know, had a couple of weird plays at third base, and yeah, it, that that was that was about as much fun as as you could have, even though the game ultimately wasn't that close. Um, Texas, Owen to Texas. Yeah, they just got beat by by Notre Dame. It was a close game. Pete Hansen wasn't as good as John Michael Bertrand, and that was kind of the end of that. And then A and M was always better suited on the mound than Texas going into the second game because they got blown out by Oklahoma, so they didn't use any of their best pitchers. Um, you know, and so once A and M prove that they weren't going to be beat by Lucas Gordon, that they were just going to foul Lucas Gordon pitches off until the game ended, basically, <laughs> like until they knocked him out. Uh, the the pitching was definitely set up better for AM. And that kind of bore itself out, but I, it was just kind of a you know, kind of a quiet 0-2 for the Horns ultimately. Yeah, I mean, for all the the talk of and rightful to me phrasing it that way makes it sound like I, I disagreed from the start. I think it's true. I mean, they were just had such a good offense and really rounded into form as the year went on and the offense just kind of went, went quiet. And I mean, yes, that the pitching also wasn't great, especially against A&M. That's a, a lot of A&M deserve a lot of credit for that. But the offense was kind of flat and it just was a bad time for, for Texas to play one of its worst, you know, back-to-back games in a while. And, and this, team has done this like it's i wrote about it after they lost and you can you can read that on the site just that they they finally got off the roller coaster and it didn't end the way they wanted it to obviously but the the roller coaster ride is is over that's kind of what this season was and some of it is due to injuries sure um but you know they started out great and then really hit the skids for three or four weeks and then went through a period of kind of figuring it out and then really seemed to kind of be hitting their stride as the postseason arrived they hosted and then went to Greenville in a tough environment and won a super regional. And, and you were right when you say up top that in the absence of kind of an obvious favorite here, there were a lot of people that were picking Texas just because they are just talented and the offense was really good and, and they've kind of figured some things out. And it, it felt like maybe this was a team that had finally found, found itself as we were getting to the business end of the season. And it just, it just wasn't meant to be this week. And, and, and so now, and, and you can read more about it, you know, in, in the piece I wrote, but now that, they're going into an off season of rebuilding, unlike anything they've dealt with in the last several years. I mean, obviously, you know, Ivan Melendez is expected to, to be gone, obviously, but it's Silas Ardoin and, and Trey Faltini and Pete Hansen in the rotation. And, you know, maybe Doug Hodo at the top of the lineup and on and on and on and on. So uh, this Texas team is going to look quite a bit different next year and it's still plenty of talent to be found and, and all that stuff. But this really was kind of 
um, a big end of an era that felt particularly uh, pointed, not just with the talent they're going to have leaving, but also the fact that this was a team that was the preseason number one, kind of no doubt preseason number one, that just didn't live up to expectations for a number of reasons. In the end, kind of gave some hope that maybe they could live up to it finally when it was all said and done, and then just kind of had it end with a thud. And it, it kind of feels, uh, I guess, fitting in some ways that that is also going to be followed now by uh, likely a, a pretty big exodus of players, uh, mostly to the draft, but all, but also some that are just kind of uh, reaching the end of their eligibility. Yeah, a year ago when Texas lost to Mississippi State in the bracket final, um, there was a lot of like, well, okay, like they'll they'll be back, and it was already becoming apparent um, that they were going to be one of the best teams in the country. You know, I think I had them pegged as that, as as number one in the very early top 25, even before we knew that Melendez wasn't going to sign, because let's face it, we didn't realize that Ivan Melendez was going to be the best player in the country. Getting him back when they when he did decide not to sign just felt like, oh, like that's a, that's a nice cherry on top of this already incredible team. And ultimately, it became much more than that in, in, in reality, but it was it was plain to see when they were playing Mississippi State. You know, you look around the diamond and you see like, well, okay, like Faltini's back and Mitchell Daly's back and Arduan's back and like, yeah, they're going to lose, uh, you know, this pitcher and that pitcher, but Pete Hansen, um, you know, is going to have a decision to make and seems like he's leaning back and Tristan Stevens too and um, you know, you got Doug Hodo coming back and, and on and on and um, this year. On the flip side, you're looking at it like, well, who is going to bat for Texas next year? Because there is a real chance that they lose eight of nine regulars in the lineup. Uh, I think Eric Kennedy is going to have a decision to make. Um, but otherwise, you know, Campbell will come back. Mitchell Daly, who kind of lost his starting spot here uh, near the end of the season, will come back. And otherwise, I mean, like, you know, somebody like Doug Hodo could surprise us. You know, we were surprised last year by Melendez, but there are a lot of players that just aren't going to be back. And, you know, the, the, it's going to be different for Texas next year. And so I do think there is a, a, a bit of a different feel. Now, I do think Texas still can be a very good team. Kind of expect that in the end, we will put them in a, a top 25 early or preseason or, or, or something, you know, just their freshman class, their incoming freshman class projects to be pretty good. We'll see how the draft affects it, but it, it looks like it should be pretty good. Um, you know, they played, they have played in the portal relatively effectively, kind of a small way. We'll see if they play bigger, but, you know, Skylar Messenger was, was quite good for them. And, uh, you know, their freshman class this year was good. We didn't see a ton of it, but like the, there's talent at Texas. And I think on the mound, they still have a chance to be very good, but it is, it's just going to be different period. Yep. I mean, I think that's, I think that's all right. Uh, I mean, this is Texas. They, they are always, I think I, I wrote this and I say, I think, because like just been writing enough that like it all kind of runs together or maybe it was a thought I had, but Texas is almost always going to have the talent to be like an Omaha team again. But if they are in Omaha at this time next year, it's going to be because they kind of did what this team did a little bit in the middle of the season and just kind of like, figures it out until they're really good. 
um, because I think it's going to be that kind of, of rebuilding year, which when you're as talented as Texas, rebuilding years can end in Omaha. And you, you can't say that about every program, that's for sure. I mean, one one kind of wild card before, before we move on from Texas is you know, Tanner Witt had surgery pretty early in the year. In Major League Baseball, when you have Tommy John surgery, it's just kind of like, okay, like 12 months. Um, that That's kind of the the thing that you think about in college, it's not always 12 months. The standard for getting back to college baseball is lower than it is to get back to MLB. I'm not saying that Tanner Witt's going to be ready on opening day or that if he is, he'll be full bore because he probably won't be. But that is a wild card because there is a chance that Tanner Witt's recovery goes very well and accelerates and, uh, you know, he is full bore by, let's say, the end of March. There's also a chance that, hey, you know, Tommy John surgery some, is a little unpredictable. Some guys can do it in 11, 12 months. Some guys take 15 months. Some guys take longer than that. And um, so his status right now is up in the air. And, and, and it, whatever he has to give next year will probably play a pretty big role in how we view Texas. And when we put, to, when we put out a, an early top 25 uh, at the end of this season, more we're just not going to know that it's going to be a guess, and um, yeah, so that, that that is one thing going into the the off season that is very much an unknown as it relates to the Horns. All right, uh, before we move on to bracket two here, um, let's uh, take a minute here and uh, hear from our sponsors. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, Joe, second bracket, you have Ole Miss moving on tonight with uh, a big win against Arkansas. They are 2-0. The Rebs got hot. Somebody let the Rebs get hot, and here they are. They have not lost a game in the NCAA tournament. They're the only undefeated team in the NCAA tournament, and, you know, it's uh, it's just been a remarkable ride. I saw them at the SEC tournament lose to Vanderbilt on – you know, in their, their play-in game on, on Tuesday and started a very anxious week for the Rebs. And as the bubble shrunk, it seemed like they probably weren't going to get in, but kind of had always had this nagging suspicion that that they were going to get in, that the committee was going to put them in, and they did. And uh, now here they are, one win away from playing for the national championship. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to put too much stock in this because it's 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 ethereal it's it's not something you can quantify but but it is interesting that you have Ole Miss one of the last four teams in the field and frankly not just one of the last four teams in the field but a team that to your point like I think maybe 
in if you if you had given truth serum to every single person on the roster and the coaching staff and asked them if they were going to get in, I think you're getting a lot of no's, um, even if they were holding out hope. And you compare that to Texas, right? Which like had expectations and yes, they fell off the perch and, but still going into the the CWS, they had expectations and you kind of see an Ole Miss team playing free and easy. And I don't think you can look at at Texas and say, and Ole Miss and say, well, that the reason is because Texas had expectations and Ole Miss didn't, but like, maybe like that can play a role. Like it does, but it does really look like this Ole Miss team has just decided to like, they're just doubling down with this house money they've been given and they, they keep, I, I don't gamble enough to be able to give you like a really good gambling term there, but like they, they are just taking this house money and it is, it is doubling over and over and over again because they're hitting all their bets. Um, like, you know, Dylan, Dylan Delusia and, and, and uh, Hunter Elliott in the rotation have been like, are suddenly like, the two best pitchers in the country <laughs> based on results here. And they've firmed up the bullpen and like the offense is, is coming back around and like, they're just firing on all cylinders right now. And um, much like with Oklahoma, like this just feels like we're seeing what this version of Ole Miss is. Um, and, and I think, I mean, you saw that the game that just finished was like kind of a, um, just a testament to that. They were able, they, they played Arkansas, they blew out Arkansas. They were able to, um, in a way that Stanford, for example, a very good team that played Arkansas to start this thing in a way that Arkansas was not able, or I'm sorry, Stanford was not able to do. Ole Miss was able to basically pick at Arkansas's weakness. And yes, Connor Nolan didn't start the game. That's a key difference there. But in both games, Arkansas was going to be vulnerable if a team could get into their bullpen and really start like, you know, getting them, you know, deeper and deeper and deeper into that pitching staff. And Ole Miss was relentlessly doing that uh, Monday night. And what you saw was Arkansas had nothing for Ole Miss once they started doing that. Um, Ole Miss, meanwhile, was able to, you know, Hunter Ellie didn't get off to a great start, but he kind of kept fighting through it. And eventually he settled in. Uh, the bullpen was good behind him. Um, it's team just playing really well. I don't know what else to say here, except that th- this 2-0 and feels more than deserved with the way they've played the first two games with a, a win, a lower scoring win against Auburn where the pitching was just excellent from Delusia, and then a game where the offense really came to play um, against Arkansas. Um, it's just, um, you know, again, we, we've said it a million times before, but the idea that this team is doing this right now after where they were, um, I don't know, pick a date in April or May. And it's just kind of uh, unbelievable. This is where this team is, but, but here we are. Yeah, the one that Ole Miss is typically pointing to is that they were seven and fourteen at one point in the SEC, and I think at that point they had lost four straight SEC series, and things were looking rather bleak for for them. Uh, they went off and swept Mizzou and uh, swept LSU, and you know that 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 really turned a lot of things around for them. Obviously, do, doing those two things, but. Yeah, it, it, there, there were a lot of low points leading up to that. There was a point at one – there was some time this year, it was after the Tennessee series, maybe it was after that, though, that Mike Bianco basically said that he was done with the idea of starting pitching, that they just had pitchers and they were going to pitch as long as they could until they weren't effective anymore. And then the next guy was going to come in. And here they are with two of the best starting pitchers in the field. You know, uh, Dylan DeLucha was – 
incredible against Auburn. He's not overwhelming. He just does a really good job at, you know, going out there and pounding the strike zone and, you know, keeping hitters honest with his, his breaking ball, but just pounding the strike zone over and over. And then Hunter Elliott, um, you know, was always a guy, you know, he was, he ranked the BA 500 last year, you know, as a, as a high school senior, he comes in, and, uh, you know, has a slower start as a freshman, but, but the, the pedigree for success was always there and he's just continued to develop and he's going to team USA this summer. Um, and th- there's just a lot to like about him, but, you know, the, the growth of those two guys who are both newcomers to Lucha transferring from um, junior college. And it's, it's been critical to this team. This wasn't the rotation that they thought they would have coming into the year, but it's the rotation they have. And it's a rotation that's pushed them one win away from playing for a national championship. And meanwhile, the offense is doing its thing. Uh, you know, Tim Elko homered today. And, you know, they, they just run really deep in that lineup and, and you're seeing it. it it's not that the, the, the hitting has necessarily you know, pulled them through the NCAA tournament. They scored 22 against an Arizona team that ran out of pitching. And they scored 10 in one of their games against Southern Miss. And you know, they scored 13 tonight. But it, it, it really has been a lot of pitching. But, but the offense is there when they need them. And, um, you know, they're playing as well as anyone in the country. And I, I mean, obviously, both Oklahoma and Ole Miss are in good position right now. I mean, the, the, the going to and the, the biggest key in, in Omaha, I, I guess, I guess you could argue it's just going one and oh, but I think, you know, obviously li- listen closely here in order to go two and oh, you have to start one and oh, not enough people talk about that, but I would say going two and oh is the, is really the big key. Cause once you're at two and oh, like you are, it is so tough for a team to come back from losing a one Oh game or losing their first game and to come all the way back, beat you twice in the bracket final to get to the championship series. But if, if we're talking Oklahoma versus Ole Miss, I, I really like the position Ole Miss is in to get to the championship series because given that Arkansas and Auburn, are, Arkansas or Auburn is going to have to beat one of the other and then go in to play Ole Miss that's going to have more rest, be set up a lot better. I mean, Arkansas blew through so many pitchers tonight and, and really struggled to find someone effective. And, and yes, at some point they kind of pulled the ripcord a little bit on, on trying to chase that game. Um, you know, but I'm just, I'm less confident that Auburn or Arkansas would really have something for Ole Miss. Whereas, you know, A&M is just so feisty and pesky and they've got just a ton of arms. They just throw at you. Um, Notre Dame's kind of built similarly in, in that way. I'm a little more confident that a team, the team that wins that elimination game will have a little bit more for Oklahoma than I am for the winner of Auburn, Arkansas, actually having something for Ole Miss. So I, I think in the vacuum, Oklahoma is actually set up better than Ole Miss because they have a more defined one, two, three. You know, again, David Sandlin spent most of the year as their number two starter, really the whole year is their number two starter, Kate Horton, who I kind of erroneously just kind of blew over. But if you want to read about Kate Horton's rise, uh, I wrote about that at length on Sunday night at baseballamerica.com. Horton has, you know, eclipsed Sandlin and become their number two, but Sandlin has spent the whole year as their number two and has been mostly pretty good at it. Uh, so he's going to presumably be the guy to start um, on Wednesday. Ole Miss is going to turn to Derek Diamond, who has been kind of in and out of the rotation and certainly has ability, but isn't 
you know, just hasn't been as reliable as Samlin. However, yeah, to your point, like the, what, what Oklahoma has to deal with sure feels like it's going to be tougher than what, um, what Ole Miss has to deal with on the mound that Arkansas already felt like they were, they, they had to play a gambit uh, in starting Zach Morris today and didn't work out. And I understand why Arkansas wanted a lefty against this Ole Miss lineup. It does a lot better uh, facing right-handed pitchers than left-handed pitchers. And it just didn't work. And they're behind the eight ball from there. Like they haven't thrown Tiger. They haven't thrown Smith at, at, at a great length. So like they have, they have some guys and I assume Connor Nolan would come back if it came to that, or they would try and bring him back probably, but it's uh, it's just not as, you know, ne- neither Auburn or Arkansas is, is dealing with the same kind of pitching depth as, uh, as what, what they're dealing with in the other half of the bracket. So from that standpoint, I, I do feel better about all this, but again, in a vacuum, I like, I like where Oklahoma's at. It's just that they're in the heart, like that has always looked like the more challenging bracket and it continues to look like the more challenging bracket. Yeah. It's a combination of like the pitching depth for Notre Dame and a and also just that those two offenses also are kind of similar in terms of you don't get any breaks and you know they 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 tend to fight you and and you know we saw it with AM in particular and so I think that's yeah that's just a that that will not be easy for Oklahoma in, in any event. So uh do, do we want to move quickly to, to Stanford before yeah let's let's hit Stanford here. They're uh they go 0 and two and while we said that Texas is you know kind of ending an era that that it's going to be a lot different for for Texas uh next year I got news for you. Stanford looks like the Pac-12 favorite again next year. Uh, yes, presumably Alex Williams moves on into pro ball, although, you know, we'll see. Um, but it, I, they replaced Braden Beck a year ago, and that seemed like a really difficult thing to do. That was an All-American and just found the next man up. And I, I feel like they're in a position to do that again on the mound. Meanwhile, yeah, Brock Jones is, is going to get drafted in the first round, and Cody Huff probably uh, is going to get drafted uh, relatively high as well, but you know, the rest of the offense is probably coming back. Brady Montgomery, Drew Browser, Tommy Troy. I, I just feel really good about where Stanford is at and just kind of the, you know, moving forward, the, the assembly line of talent that they, they've been able to, to put together. I mean, quietly, they are just really kind of feel like they're like about to kind of hit cruise control. Um, the way they're recruiting, the way that the, things are developing now. Like it would not be a surprise to see this team in Omaha again next season. Now the thing will be is they won some games last year, but the thing will be like, if if they get there for a third time, like it feels like there will be some level of expectation where going zero and two again, or one and two or what have you would start to be kind of like, okay, let, you know, let's get something done here. But um, yeah, it it could be, I mean, I think the, the range for Stanford is, being kind of a similar team to what we saw this year, even if you look at Alex Williams leaving, and I, I guess you know technically Quinn Matthews is is eligible, and obviously they're going to lose Brock Jones. Hey, Quinn Matthews was an oversight; he is probably. I, I I don't know what more you could ask for from Quinn Matthews, you know. Yeah. Um. So you know you're going to lose Brock Jones at a at a bare minimum. I get you know we could sit here and like really go one by one, but like Cody Huff is like you know they're guys, but regardless, like most of that lineup is coming back. There's a chance that you know, one of Braden Montgomery or Tommy Troy is like a, a real breakout guy. I mean, they already had good years, but a real breakout guy that replaces all of Brock Jones's production. The Braden Montgomery looks like that type of talent at a bare minimum. 
So there's that opportunity that the, the complementary pieces are going to be really good. And look, there is a chance that like, and Hey, I'm all about secure the bag. Like if you get drafted, like, and you want to go play pro ball, my friend, like, please go do it. Like I'm all about securing the bag for these players, but like, it's not like Alex Williams and Quinn Matthews are like, you know, blue chip, blue chip prospects. Like if the, draft picks not right. And the money's not right. Like maybe those guys do come back. And then in that case, I mean, you are really talking about like a really, really elite team next year in college baseball. They might already be that, but I do think there is a chance where they're the, one of the teams that gets guys back. And like Stanford is the type of school that has things to offer for kids coming back. Right. You know, finish the Stanford degree or start working on a Stanford masters, like all of that kind of stuff. And I think they're the going to need to find the degree. Pitch. It's hard to get into grad school. Ask Jacob Palish. Not that they, I, I don't mean that as a negative to Jacob Palish, but he transferred for a reason. So like they, they are going to need to find, because again, pitching was like a little bit of a bugaboo again, even as good as Alex Williams was and Quinn Matthews was and Andrew Dowd had his moments. But I do like some of the guys that are on the come here. Like I liked what I saw from Drew Dowd today, as a matter of fact, in a loss. Like I think, He's a guy who could take another step forward. Ryan Bruno was like throwing fireballs out of the bullpen today. Brant Panzer is having had a night really nice year. If Braden Montgomery shows better command and control next year, like he's a could be an elite back end guy. So I do think the pitching is on the come, but I mean, that's going to be the key. It's just going to have to be better than it was because ultimately, even though their offense went silent uh, this week in Omaha as well, like ultimately in the regular season, that's what kept them from maybe being even better than they already were, which was obviously very, very good. I mean, the reason they went 0-2, like, yeah, offensively, they weren't great here, and that had driven them so much of the year. But Alex Williams did not give them a good start in game one, and they didn't really pitch well enough in game two either. And they're, they're working from behind the eight ball, and the offense just wasn't able to bail them out. Um, I would also add that they have a solid recruiting class. Like, they have another top 100 player committed, and, um, you know, we'll see. You never know. But Stanford is fully capable of pulling in talents like that getting them through the draft and getting them into college so if that if that happens for them you know you're adding more pieces to the lineup and, um so yeah i i really like them moving forward and some of it when i say pac-12 favorite is like that's eh, a little bit looking around at the pac-12 and saying well who is who else is it going to be and you know ucla is has talent but um you know i i just feel better about where stanford's at than any other team in the conference so uh, very disappointing that they're headed home at 0-2. They were the highest-seeded team here, but reason to uh, to believe in the future. Uh, all right, so we're going to keep it shorter. As mentioned, I still have to write, and uh, th this this podcast has to uh, be a little more ethereal. As uh, you know, the, the 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 hits keep coming here in Omaha. We've got two more days guaranteed of of two games in a row, and potentially three. We will be back here on Friday. Uh, by then, we will know who is playing for the national championship, and we'll uh, we'll set the scene for the national championship series then on uh, that edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America Podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find us. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And there is plenty to read over at baseballamerica.com. Uh, busy, busy week here, busy week to come here in Omaha. So hopefully you're all enjoying the baseball. We're enjoying the baseball so far. Um, and we're, we're excited to see 
what the rest of this College World Series has in store. For Joe, I'm Teddy. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.